This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Chalk flew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Let's play the game tonight. It is a wonderful Friday afternoon, August the 9th, 2013. And you're listening to This Week in Tennis exclusively on Max Sports Channels. My name is Phil Nason, and I'm the host of this weekly radio program 
dedicated to the sport of tennis. From the teeny all the way to the top pros in the world, we cover it all. And this week is no exception. By way of introduction, my name is Phil Masons, and I am the resident tennis professional at the beautiful Corfu Holiday Palace, located in Corfu, Greece. It is the home of the Phil Masons Tennis Academy. And if you want to head on over to Corfu like many, many, many people do throughout the summer for a little fun and a little tennis holiday, hit me up over at philnasons.com and we'll get you started. We got a lot to cover. We've been off for a couple weeks and I've enjoyed the break. Believe me, I have. But it's time to talk tennis and on the line with me from CraigDoylePhotography.com. Please welcome Mr. Craig Doyle to the show. Craig, how you doing, man? Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, we'll be doing this show for a few more weeks and then we'll have to see what we will see. We may incorporate this show into the Phil Nason show. We'll see what we do with that. But anyway... Lots going on since the last time we were together. The big one, Viktor Trici from Serbia has been suspended for 18 months, for not for failing a drug test, but failing to provide a blood sample upon request. Now, he professes his innocence. He claims that when they came to test him, he offered a urine sample, which he did, and then told him that he was feeling unwell and could not provide a blood sample. He also claimed or claims that he was told it's okay, you can come back tomorrow, which apparently he did. And unfortunately for him, they dismissed it. The They being the ITF. They didn't take his blood, apparently. And off he goes for 18 months. That is a bizarre situation, isn't it, Craig? This is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very fascinating story because you've got a lot of different angles here, different stories depending on who you listen to, and uh, you've got this very, very severe ban being issued despite the fact that nothing's been proven in relation to doping allegations or whatever you want, to be honest. But, uh, you know, you've got this guy who's missed his drugs test and he's been hit with this huge ban that's going to see him out of action for the next 18 months. It's, uh, you know, it's it's come out of the blue as well. You know, nobody anticipated it. Nobody had heard anything about it, despite the fact that it happened several months ago at the Monte Carlo event. So... There's a lot of talking points here, um, whether the uh, anti-doping agency is setting a precedent or, you know, just plain and simple that this is a punishment that should be issued for this sort of scenario. It's uh, it, it's opened a real can of worms and uh, I think there's a lot more questions now than answers, to be honest. Well, you don't miss a blood test. There's reasons for that. You know, I understand being unwell, but you still have to provide. Now, the ITF claims that they were not told what he claims he was told. There's an old saying where there's smoke, there's fire. And I can tell you this. If he's doing the magic beans, they weren't doing him any good. He didn't make it. Did he make it to the top ten? No, he did not, did he? No, he did not. No. You see, eh. Honestly, 
you miss your drug test, there, there's automatic suspicion raised. Automatic. Now, he provided a urine sample. Do we know whether it was dirty or not? Absolutely not. They didn't say. They're not going to either to protect his privacy. They can't do that. But you don't just ban someone. And unfortunately for Mr. Trichy, he has no leg to stand on, really. Now, <laughs> he's Novak Djokovic claims that his teammate is innocent of any doping violation. Now, how would he know that? And there are plenty of people out there who think that Novak Djokovic is using the magic beans as well. <laughs> I don't know. But it is interesting. The bottom line is, if you want to avoid these situations, give your blood. Do what they ask you to do. This just fuels the fire of the speculators out there who claim that Nothing is ever done. They don't test enough. Well, okay. You know, they do test. And they test quite regularly, by the way. Unfortunately for Mr. Trichy, whether he was unwell or unwilling to provide a sample, he's off. Off he goes for 18 months. And I don't think he's going to win his appeal. Do you? No. Um, a few people have written to me and asked me what I think about this situation and I've been comparing it to a very similar scenario that involved a Premier League footballer, soccer player if you will, over in the UK playing for the rather famous Manchester United team who had a similar situation where he failed to turn up for a drugs test, uh, a doping test, he uh, just didn't turn up, he was never proven to be doping or not doping, but he got an 18-month ban from the game, and he was a very, very high-profile uh, soccer player, played for the England national team at the time, um, was recognized as one of the best players in the league, and, you know, they made an example of this guy, so I, I really think it's going to be very, very difficult for... Victor Choiki to turn the situation on its head and you know someone like me I would love to believe that the, there's no problems here he's he's very innocent and uh, you know but if you if you miss a test you just put yourself at the mercy of these anti-doping agencies these uh, drugs testers and unfortunately you're gonna have to take the punishment that comes with it well he might wind up getting his uh suspension you know brought back maybe six months but he's going to stay out for a year at least they have to do something i mean you don't tell them no <laughs> it just don't do that if you were in the world today and you had a were on probation parole whatever and i had a friend that actually missed his urine test and they violated his parole sent him back to prison that's what happens you give them what they ask for. They, you have to. I mean, that's just the way it is. And these guys are all complaining, especially Novak Djokovic. There should be more blood testing. Well, there you go. Why are you defending the guy for missing it then? Because he's your countryman. See, it, it, it's all fun and games until it hits home with these guys. You can't have it both ways. Either let them use the magic beans to their heart's content or test them. And if they refuse for whatever reason, then there's precedent set to ban them. And that's what you have to do. Whether it's making an example out of him or not, I mean, 
come on, what do you do? You have to honor the rules. And that rule states, or one of them states, that when the ITF people come around to collect your urine, test your blood at the major tournaments, you do it. You know, I think he's just talking smack. <laughs> I think he didn't want to get caught. Because you can mask your urine, but you can't mask your blood. And he probably didn't have enough time to get a full oil change before he went the next day. So I'm not buying his story. I'm just not buying it. It sounds shady to me. Are you there? I'm here, yeah. And uh, I'm no, I'm just taking in what you said there, and it's uh, you know we have all these doping allegations, we have the cycling scandal, we have Operation Puerta, we have the scandal in Miami, which is affecting the baseball world and several other pro sports. Um, things such as athletics. Um, a lot of Jamaican athletes have been under the radar at the moment. It's, you know, a very, very huge topic in sports at the moment. And when you miss a test like this, you really, really put yourself in the spotlight and you kind of force the hand of these guys who control the anti-doping regulations. They have to punish you. They don't have a choice. And unfortunately, Victor's going to have to take the punishment that goes with the crime of missing one of these blood tests and that's just how it is I'm, I'm, I mean if he doesn't if they, they turn it around and uh, allow him to get off with it then it sets a precedent that the next time someone gets caught up they get off with it so I know there's a lot of people that's not happy, Novak Djokovic, a lot of Serbian fans aren't happy, they feel that, um, I know the Serbian fans do tend to feel that their players get picked on, they get made as a, a sort of scapegoat when things aren't going well, but uh, unfortunately that's how it is, and in this situation, in this current climate, and the way sport is at the moment, I don't think we're going to see Viktor Chojkinto after the Australian Open in 2015, unfortunately. Maybe so, maybe so. But uh, this is, he's not being picked on. He, he's not being made an example of. He failed to provide what they asked for. That's what it is. He's not a victim. He's, a, he's what he is. He refused. Now, for whatever reason, whether he was unwell or whatever, they don't take a gallon of blood out of you. They just take enough to test. They take three three separate vials, I think. That's not going to kill the guy. He was feeling unwell. My eye. My eye. And you know what? The Serbian people can get angry at me all they like. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, Victor Trici decided that he, he was unwilling to provide a blood sample. Whether he was clean or not, is not even the point. He refused, and that's the end of it. Goodbye, Mr. Trici, and let that be a word of warning and caution to you young people. Don't make excuses. Do what they ask, and you'll be fine. And if you've got nothing to hide, why, you'll open up that arm and say, go ahead, take all you need, whether you're unwell or not. That's how I feel about that. And I'm sure a lot of people will be unhappy with me, but you know what? <laughs> I don't really care. Anyhow, 
Speaking of band players, and this is a bizarre thing, Martina Hingis is back. Aren't we all thrilled? The Swiss Miss, the golden girl who walked off, walked off a tennis court and had to be begged back on by her mommy. Our dear Swiss Miss is back playing doubles now. What do you like about Martina Hingis playing doubles only? Uh, not a lot, to be honest. Um, I'm still, and I know people will, will look at me and they'll uh, they'll say it's it's not the right stance to take. But um, she left tennis under a cloud several years ago. She was um, similarly asked to submit a drugs test, and she just dropped off the tour. Um, you know, that, that, that's not good. And for her to just walk straight back on several years later, it kind of sticks in my throat a little bit. But, um, you know, she's a, a former Grand Slam doubles champion multiple times. I think she's won all four majors in Grand Slams, if I'm if I'm right, in the doubles tour. So I, 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 it kind of confuses me, Phil, because she doesn't have anything to prove. I mean, at 32, I, I guess, you know, there's a, a lot of ladies out there on the uh, doubles tour who are older than Martina Hingis, who are, you know, still playing, still playing at a very high level. So, you know, she can still compete, I guess, on the doubles tour. But, um, you know, for someone who's such, had such a prominent singles career, who's had five grand slams, won three of the four majors, it's... Um, it's kind of a strange move, I think, to to come back and enter the doubles tour at 32 years of age and, uh, you know, just be back out playing tennis again. I, I find it rather bizarre. I, you know, I, I don't know what you think. I mean, what's your take on it? Well, I started laughing when I first saw it. I mean, you know, people say this is a springboard for singles. Only if she got bigger. Because she was getting a racket knocked out of her hand back in 2003 and getting a racket knocked out of her hand in 2007. I mean, the game has changed so much, she couldn't play out there today. She, still, the reason she got as far as she did is because Steffi Graf was injured and the Williams sisters weren't around yet. Otherwise, she wouldn't have. I still remember the grand slam that uh, Jennifer Capriati won. I was telling my buddy Scotty, I said... Bet against Hingis on nights when she has to play two big hitters in a row because she could never handle two big hitters in a row. And I was right, and he made a lot of money off it, as well as I did. But the thing is, Martina Hingis, please. She's probably one of the worst examples there is for any young lady to follow. I have no respect for her. Not because she tested positive for drugs or all the other crap we read about, if we're interested and care to read about her in her off-court life. I never liked the way she conducted herself on the court. She was always smirking and cocky when she was winning and crying when she was losing. It just never made sense to me. She never made sense to me. But she's back, and I guess she's playing with Daniela. Hanchikova, who's also another young lady who's had her issues over the years. And we'll have to see how long it lasts. Now, I have people write to me and say, how is it possible 
that this young lady could be suspended for two years, banned for two years, for cocaine use, and she got caught red-handed. It wasn't a failure to provide or a disappear. She tested positive. She's even admitted that. The problem with her is she decided rather than fight it, because she couldn't win, she just retired and disappeared off the tour. So she never really served a suspension because she was planning on leaving anyway. There are some out there who think that perhaps she got off lightly. And there are others out there who think that she should not be allowed to play tennis now because, well, she left when it was convenient for her. She took a retirement when it was convenient and never was properly punished for abusing the uh, anti-doping rules and breaking the rules. And, well, I don't think that you can do anything about that. She didn't play tennis for whatever reason, but she got to leave on her own terms. I think that was wrong, and I, I, I still think that was wrong. I thought that then, and I guess I think that now. Should she be allowed to play, though, Craig? Should she be forced to uh, serve out a suspension? Because, <laughs> to be honest with you, she wasn't suspended. She walked away. Yeah, that's a problem. It's down to interpretation because you're going to have those people who argue that, you know, if she was given a suspension, then technically the suspension would have been served by now. Whereas you and I probably look at it from the other perspective that she kind of in some ways saved face by walking away off her own accord as opposed to being banned. And perhaps she should serve that suspension now. Um, my, my perspective on this is the same as yours. I, I kind of feel that she was able to dictate what she did back when she should have been suspended, which I, I feel that maybe now she shouldn't be able to dictate in the manner that she has and the way that she's come back in without anyone really saying, well, hang on a second, you should be suspended. And I think she's very, very fortunate that that's the situation because I know that in a lot of other sports, they would have just turned around and said, uh, no, uh -uh, you're retired, you dodged the suspension, so we're going to bring that charge up now and you know, you serve the suspension. So I think she's very, very fortunate that the uh, WTA is allowing her to play. And giving her wild cards to do so because <laughs> she can't get in there on her own. But you know what? Lindsay Davenport speculated, and, well, that's what announcers do. They speculate. And she believes that Hingis was using this uh, doubles return as a way of coming back to playing singles. Now, this is what Martina had to say. It's a different world. Even team tennis now, it's brutal. It's only one set, but still, like, the next day I wake up and you have to put so much more effort into it. Playing tournaments, that's the easy part. It's all the grind behind it, behind the scenes that people don't see. The six straight hours of training. At 17, everything seemed to be so easy. Now I'm almost twice that age. What is she trying to say, that doubles doesn't require that kind of commitment? Is that what she's saying? Is she taking a swat at doubles? Is she saying doubles is way easier, and thus far I can go do this without putting any effort into it? That's what it seems like to me. Which is very disrespectful to several girls who make their trade by playing strictly on the doubles tour. Yes, it is, isn't it? That's how she's always been, though. 
taking swipes at people. And, well, <laughs> she's not the most loyal person out there. There's no question about that. You know who I worry about, Phil? And um, it's, it's a young girl who's just coming through. A young lady called Belinda Benjik. Swiss girl, same nationality. Um, French Open Junior Champion this year. Wimbledon Junior Champion this year. And I, I just hope, you know, that uh, a young girl like this um, doesn't look up to someone like Hingis on the tour coming back in there and uh, see her as a sort of role model um, for success. Because I, I don't know what it's like in America. I, I can't comment. I'm not American. But in Great Britain, a lot of the role models in sport are people who have had success or limited amounts of success. For example, Tim Henman was seen as the sort of uh, tennis idol for several years over here and uh, until obviously Andy Murray bettered his achievements. Andy Murray will now be seen as a sort of role model to follow in tennis. So I really hope from the Swiss perspective, obviously they've got a fantastic role model in Roger Federer, but uh, you know, young girls coming in to play on the tour, I really hope, um, especially this young girl who's got a lot of talent, a lot of ability, clearly doesn't look up to Martina Hingis and look, think, you know, this is, uh, this is the way you should do it. This is the, the model to follow if you want to have success because, you know, clearly it's looking at the, Martina's personal life, looking at the way she's conducted her professional tennis career. It's, it's not the way you want to see someone else follow. It's not the way you want to see a 16-year-old girl who has a lot of ability. Um, you know, you don't want to see her follow in those footsteps. The thing that struck me about Hingis, and this is not a bag on Martina Hingis party, but, well, maybe it could be. I don't know. But what always struck me about her is every time it got too hot for her, she retired. <laughs> She's always had a way out. And now she gets to come back and do everything on her own terms all the time. I guess, in a way, you can be jealous of her. Not many people get to dictate their entire life based on their own terms. And she's able to do so. But, yeah, I don't know what kind of role model she would be for anyone. I, I don't think that any young girl that age would even look up to her. There's no point. Martina Higgins doesn't even spend much time in Switzerland anymore, I don't think. She was coaching down in I believe she was coaching down in France with uh, Patrick Mortoglu, uh, the kid that, the boyfriend of Serena Williams. I mean, oops, her tennis coach. But... <laughs> That's a sordid world. That ladies' tennis is just a sordid world, man. You know, even the former lady players just marvel at what goes on there. But Martina Hingis back on the tour, at least in the doubles, and taking a swipe at all the other people, too. How about that? Welcome back, Martina. I'm sure the girls threw you a big party. I wonder if they brought their boyfriends with them. Probably not. Because <laughs> <laughs> this girl, this girl's got her issues. There's no question. But can she play tennis still? Apparently she can. She was the MVP for the Washington Castles the past two seasons. And then she kind of took a swipe at that too. She said, where, where is it here? Where was it? Okay, here it goes. It's kind of weird just to play doubles. Team tennis always gets you in great shape. Being the MVP, that helps, I guess, the confidence. I played a lot more the last two years than I did in the first three years when I stopped. 
And then she goes on to say, I don't have any expectations. Obviously, I wouldn't put myself in this position if I didn't feel fine enough to be able to compete at this level. We'll see. Team tennis, it was good enough. Will it be good enough in this world? It's another question. And takes a shot at that, too. <laughs> good old Martina. She's always good for a soundbite, isn't she, Craig? Well, you know, the, the tour is certainly not going to be boring by having her on the uh, double circuit again. You know, she just doesn't know how to say something in a politically correct manner that allows her to express her opinion without insulting someone unintentionally, it seems. Um, but, you know, you and I have said before, sometimes we wish there were more characters on the tour. You've got Martina Hingis back. You've got a character, someone who's going to cause controversy. Controversy creates interest. Interest equals money. So, hey, let's roll with it. Let's have Martina Hingis back. Well, we don't have much of a choice. <laughs> well, at least she'll be back to the U.S. Open, and then she can gallop off in the sunset with whoever she's hanging out with that week. Anyway, you know what? We're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to take a look at the Rogers Cup being played in Montreal. That's right, the guys and the girls are together. And Martina Hingis is there, too. Oh, boy. I wonder what page six looks like. Anyway, we'll be right back. You're listening to This Week in Tennis on Max Sports Channels. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we come together. Cool. And I think it's cool. Somebody's going to be having fun tonight. <laughs> all I want to do is go have a good time. It's all about tonight. Bill Nason. Some of the things that these people say. Jimmy Z. That is such twisted logic. Alex Jones. You heard it here first. Now it's mainstream news. Weeknights, starting at 10 Eastern. Okay, well, let's go party. Yeah, tomorrow can wait till tomorrow. Ah, it's a lot of fun. I said We'll have fun, I promise. Weeknights on the Talk Superstation. Been dreaming of that Greek vacation? Well, if you have, then you might want to check out the folks at the Origi Grand Hotel, located in beautiful Corfu, Greece. Come experience world-class cuisine, as well as the hospitality that Greece is legendary for at the Origi Grand Hotel. You can find them at aridihotel.com or email them at reservations at aridihotel.com. The Phil Mason Show is a daily one-hour program featuring hard-hitting commentary on a variety of topics. From the world of sports, entertainment, and pop culture, the Phil Mason Show covers it all. For music, entertainment, and more, please check us out at philmasons.com. Hi, this is Phil Nasons from This Week in Tennis and The Phil Nason Show. Max Sports Channels offers the best in sports talk radio, as well as great music 24 hours a day. It's my daily destination, and I hope it's yours. The sports talk begins each and every day at 3 p.m. and ends around 9 p.m. Special programming on the weekends, and in between all that, the hottest music on the internet. That's Max Sports Channels. 
Make it your daily destination. Welcome back to this week of tennis. Boy, I tell you what, I'm going to hear the heat from that little opening bit. But, well, you know what? It's all part of being a radio host. Anyhow, the men and the women are in Montreal for the Montreal Masters, the Rogers Cup. That's a bizarre little scene, too, where they switch venues every other year. Was that? Can I correct you for a second? If you want. You know I don't like to do this, but the girls are actually in Toronto. Oh, this I'm year. sorry. They kind of they don't have the court space at both of these events, so they send the guys one place and the girls the other place, and I think they swap it over in alternative years. So the ladies are at the Rexall Center in Toronto, and the gentlemen are at the Unipri Stadium in Montreal, I believe. All right. Okay. Silly me. That's okay. I don't know anything about tennis, so it doesn't worry. Don't worry. It doesn't matter. It's all good. That's, that's what people say. How can you not watch tennis all day? Because I'm on a tennis court all day. That's how. <laughs> because I host a seriously popular daily radio show. Got to pay the bills, dude. Exactly. These couch potatoes that play on Facebook, what, I wonder how they live. <laughs> I mean, really. They get to watch. They watch tennis all day and night. When do they work? <laughs> well... Now, needless to say, they don't, probably. Anyway, the ladies are in Toronto, which is a very beautiful city. White Vegas. You ever heard that term, White Vegas? I have indeed. You have? That's the NBA guys call it, White Vegas. When they go up to Toronto, that's the trip that they love to take. You know I love a little bit of the NBA now and again. All right, yeah, you're getting into it a little bit. From a gambling, a gambler's aspect. <laughs> but, yeah, you know what? But here's the thing. They say when they go up to White Vegas, they have a hard time not smiling when they kiss their girlfriends and their wives goodbye because they're going up there to have fun. And that's why Toronto has such a great home record because guys are a little tired. And usually some of those guys have girlfriends up there. So it is what it is, but it's White Vegas because of the snow and it's cold and whatever. And Serena Williams is rolling in White Vegas, isn't she? She certainly is. And anyone who thought that the Serena Williams chain has been derailed at Wimbledon, well, she went up to Sweden. She won a tournament up there. That, she confessed, was a confidence builder. She just wanted to check that she was, you know, still the alpha female on the tour. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone really doubted that, did they? Nope, they sure didn't. But uh, she's rolling right along. Marianne Bartoli's rolling right along. Yeah, she is. Um, you know, and I think that's a good thing because um, you know Marianne's been very, very close to winning big um, for several years. She reached the Wimbledon final, got crushed by Venus Williams. Obviously, this year she reached it and she won. And I think, you know, there's a girl who's just been flirting with the uh, top 10 in and out for several years, had difficulties with her own uh, 
federation. I I think she's uh, it's good to see her having a little bit of success. Um, I think she's actually now pulled out of the Rogers Cup. I I think she uh, retired in her last match, but um, you know she'll be back for the big one, the U.S. Open, in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, it will be good to see her reach the U.S. Open fully fit and in good form. Not according to John Inverdale. Well, let's uh, not worry about what Mr. Om Inverdale thinks um, about either Marion Bartoli's game or her physique or uh, how, how she presents herself. You know what? If that guy, if I was standing next to him and he said the sun was shining, I would look up just to check. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, he's a housewife's favorite, so you've you got to take him for uh, <laughs> what he says at face value. None of them have daughters, I'm sure. <laughs> Sloane Stevens is rolling a little bit. Now, yeah, I, she's playing what? Aggie Radwanska tomorrow? And that'll be a great test for Sloane Stevens, won't it? I mean, Radwanska's, you know, she's at the top end of the tour. She's holding down one of those positions that Sloane Stevens would dearly love to have uh, in the world rankings, of course. And I think we're, we're getting to the stage with Sloane. She's, uh, she's still a young girl. But she's a very powerful young girl, and I think that she's uh, at the stage where we're going to see very shortly um, whether she can take her game to the next level. And matches against someone like Radwanska are going to be the barometer to whether she can do it or not. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, the jury's still out for me on Sloane Stevens. That's another one, man, that runs her mouth and hasn't done anything yet. Has she even won a tournament on the WTA tour? Um, not that I know of. In fact, I'm just looking at the moment. She's actually lost to that one because she lost six one seven six. Oh boy! So um, you know that first set obviously wasn't very good. She played a little bit better in that second set, but um, you know Sloane Sloane's obviously at this stage in her career. She she really needs to push on. She needs to break into that top 10, secure a position in there, and uh, then she can start talking about what she's going to do. Um, you know, <laughs> when you're 14, 15, 16 in the world, you're not in the top 10. You're not on the radar for winning Grand Slams. You shouldn't be running your mouth as to who you're going to beat and uh, what you're going to do, etc. You know, you've got to prove that with a racket, not with what you say. <laughs> and you can find Craig Doyle at CraigDoylePhotography.com. Anyway, yeah, my, my, my email is going to be busy, isn't it? <laughs> probably so, but you're right. You're right. You got to get it done. And unfortunately, she hasn't gotten it done. She had one hot match against Serena Williams, and then she thinks she's all that. I feel sorry for her, but Aggie Radwanska buried her. And, well, third round is not bad, Miss, Miss Stevens. Now you let us know when you're playing next. Sarah Ronnie's playing pretty good. Let me see who else is over there. Petra Kitova is starting to pick it up a little bit, I see. And Jelena Jankovic has had a quite a little good little year, hasn't she? Yeah, my favorite, uh, Jelena Jankovic, the one girl that I do not ever back when I'm betting. But uh, this year she's come good. She's kind of found uh, what I would say was maybe a little bit consistency. She's found her level. She she knows who she's capable of beating, and she's not having one of those years like the last couple of years where she's 
been in good positions and then folded, losing matches. She she seems to be very steady, being able to close matches out again. So that's a good sign for Yelena Jankovic. I think she'll be in and around the top 20 for quite a while yet. Yeah, perhaps you're right. I think she's doing okay. Now the men's side of things at the Rogers Cup. Same tournament, different venue. Ah, let's see here. Andy Murray lost to Ernest Agulbis. Agulbis has had a fantastic season. He's had a fantastic tournament. Knocked off Fognini. And now he has found his way to the quarterfinal by defeating Andy Murray. Is that just a fluke? Um, no, Gul- I was watching earlier on, and um, Gulbis played pretty good tennis. He played very aggressive. Murray played a bit passively. But, you know, these uh, Masters tournaments, Phil, you can kind of get a, an impression of how seriously Murray's taking this when you look and you see his name is in the singles draw, but it's also in the doubles draw. So clearly, you know, Andy Murray's here to play a little bit of tennis, but, uh, you know, you're not going to see Andy Murray's name in the doubles draw at the US Open, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, he comes to Canada and he's playing singles and doubles. So, you know, he's not really fully committed to an all-out assault on this title. It's not an essential title for him to win. Not like the U.S. Open. So I I think when you look at it, um, he's playing twice in one day sort of thing. Gobis did well to beat him, but it's clear that, you know, Murray was maybe only, you know, trying to get himself up to speed on the hard courts. He'll maybe play a few games in Cincinnati next week. He he may not win that tournament, but uh, you can be sure when it comes down to time to play Flushing Meadows, Andy Murray's going to be prepared. And uh, guys like Ernest Gulbis, they can take their victory over Murray here, maybe build a little confidence on it. But, um, you know, if these two guys were to meet in the third round in Flushing Meadows... I don't think Ernest Gobus would even win a set. I think he would just get blown off the court by Murray. So what you're saying is, is that Andy Murray didn't put a full, doesn't go to tournaments to put a full effort in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you heard it from me, from straight from the horse's mouth. He's come here from Wimbledon. This is his first tournament back. He's played a couple of games on the hard court surface, but you know. The U.S. Opens, you know, what? what is it, two weeks away until the U.S. Open starts? Three weeks, something like that? And uh, guys like Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, you know, one of them might win the tournament. But uh, these guys are not going to be too concerned if they only play a couple of matches here and get knocked out. They're going to try a few different things, or, you know, maybe play a few different shots that they don't normally play, try a different service out. If things don't work out, they don't work out. But it's not the end of the world to these guys if they don't win a Masters tournament. And that's just how it is on the tour. If you're at the top end and you're making the big money, you don't have to worry about these Masters tournaments if you're not winning them. Exactly. Andy Murray's at the point in his career where he's hungry to win Grand Slams and nothing else. But don't tell the people in Montreal that. (laughs) Because... They don't want to hear that. They don't want to see a guy out there not giving his full attention to a tournament. These people have given their full cash to watch him play. Yeah, sure they have. But, you know, they're getting a day's worth of tennis. And in this day's worth of tennis, most of these guys are going to see Murray. They're going to see Nadal. They're going to see Djokovic. 
they'll see Del Pot. So they're going to see everyone. They're going to see all these top stars on the tour. So, that, you know, they're going to get their money's worth. And, uh, you know, if Murray is only playing at about 80% capacity, then, you know, you got to deal with that, unfortunately. And with so many events on the tour, not every guy is going to be able to come to every event in 100% condition and be able to, to run themselves into the ground. And it's just the nature of the tour, you know. You go to the U.S. Open, it's a more prestigious title, it's bigger money, it's uh, more endorsements, more sponsorships, it's on you know, more television channels around the world, it means more. The people in Montreal might not think that, but uh, you know, it's just the way it is, unfortunately, and uh, you've got to deal with it. That's why tennis has a spectator problem. But uh, isn't this his first tournament back from Wimbledon? Yeah, it is. It's the first time he's played since he, he won the Wimbledon title. So he hasn't played in a month. Imagine that. He got a month off. And you've always you've got to consider as well that uh, you know, Ernest Gumbus, he's probably not had a month off. He's, you know, probably played in one of these smaller um US Open series tournaments. Maybe he's played in Washington or um the Grass Court tournament. Down in, I think it's in Atlanta or something like Newport, that. Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, Rhode Island. There you go. Correct me. At, the, interna- at the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Or perhaps, you know, he's maybe played a little bit of clay court tennis. Maybe he's been across, um, you know, playing in Gestad, Switzerland, or uh, um, Hamburg, Germany. One of these events that um, a-, a lot of players go to after Wimbledon. So a lot of these guys in this draw who didn't go too deep into the, the Wimbledon job, probably played a, a couple of weeks' tennis in between Wimbledon and here, so they'll be a little bit sharper, they'll be a little bit more ready for this tournament, but you know, in a couple of weeks' time, you can guarantee that your Andy Murray's, your Rafael Nadal's, Novak Djokovic, these guys are going to be fully fit for this US Open, and they're going to be raring to go. Yeah, we hope so, anyway. <laughs> we hope so. No, I know all these things. I just wanted to hear you say it. I have to play devil's advocate. I hate dead air, and I was eating potato chips. So, because uh, you know it's two forty-five in the morning, and I still got another radio show to do. But uh, Vasic Pospisil has defeated Tomas Burdich and found himself in the quarterfinals, where he'll probably play Nikolai Davidenko. Yeah, see, these are great tournaments for these guys who don't win much. Because these other guys aren't giving it their full effort, and these folks will and pick up points. I like that. Let's see. But the biggest story really has to be the Austrian kid. Marinko Masovic is found he has found his way into the quarterfinals where he'll play Rafael Nadal. Look at this. Another one. Matsovic. I'll bet you he's Serbian too. Yeah, I think originally he was, um, I, I think he's Bosnian or, you know, somewhere across Eastern Europe. Um, and, you know, for this guy, this means everything. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm saying that guys are not m- maybe given 100% here, the top guys, but um, the guys that do get through, it, it means everything to them because if you pick up a few hundred points here, this could mean that you get automatic qualification into some of the other Masters events for the rest, you know, for the next calendar year, to be honest. And, you know, for guys like that, it, it means, you know, you're picking up your money, you're 
got the chance to make a little bit more money. You can get yourself out to other locations on the tour. It, you're not having to dip down and play more 250 events or go back down the challenger level, etc. So for, for these guys, it's absolutely huge. You know, a quarterfinal against Nadal for this this fella, it's it's massive. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. And he's qualified too, so he's had to play quite a bit of tennis in Montreal. I don't like his chances against Rafael Nadal. And they're talking about Rafael Nadal again. Nadal's doping. <laughs> it never ends with him, does it? Prove it. There you go. Prove it. Catch him. You know, nowadays, you'd have to be stupid to get caught. You'd have to be a Victor Trichy <laughs> or a Wayne Odensic or Ryan Braun in baseball to get caught. Catch them. You know, nowadays it's a lot easier. They catch you with the paper trail. Ask Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player for the New York Yankees. He didn't get a dirty year at ever. But yet, he's facing 211-game suspension because of text messages. Unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, catch Rafael Nadal. Stop making insinuations about that young fella. You don't have any evidence on him, you folks out there who hide in the dark and throw darts at these young people. You don't have any evidence. All you have is speculation in your wild imagination fueled by some type of mental illness that makes them feel like they're the next Woodward and Bernstein. And the reality is they live in their mommy's basements, sitting in their pajamas, begging their mommy to bring them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because they are so antisocial they can't even leave their darkened mommy's basement. Unbelievable people, but... Rafael Nadal, if he wins his tournament, what does that tell you about Rafael Nadal, Craig? That Wimbledon was a fluke again, or that he doesn't care about Wimbledon? It's difficult to say. I think the grass too just doesn't suit his game in the first place. You know, the uh, lower bounce isn't so good for his uh, big, sort of extreme top spin action. The uh, faster court, etc., is not good for his defensive game. Um, people being able to serve and volley against him is not something that he particularly enjoys because it means he's got to get his passing shots right and it's not easy for him on that surface. And uh, I think there's a lot of things go against the way that he plays the game when you come to Wimbledon. But when you when you come onto these hard courts, some of them aren't quite as quick. And, you know, you get a, a little bit more bounce on the ball on the hard court. That, that kind of favors his... Uh, his forehand actions. So, I, I, I and mean, we've seen already this year that he's won a, a hard court tournament, the first one that he played at Indian Wells. In fact, I think it's the only one he's played thus far. So, I wouldn't rule him out of being able to play these hard court tournaments. I think he'll uh, probably have quite a successful week here. It wouldn't surprise me if he does not play in Cincinnati next week. He might think that um, enough's enough on the legs this week. Or, and they'll just uh, drop off the tour until the U.S. Open again. But I think he'll do quite well at the U.S. Open as well. I think he's uh, he's playing well. He's uh, enjoying his tennis again. And I I think you're probably right. Wimbledon was maybe a bit of a freak result. Even though it's not his surface, I think you know perhaps people expect him to at least get semi-finals or quarter-finals. So... I'm not going to write Rafael Nadal off. You don't write off someone who's won so many things as he has in his career. And I think we're going to see 
a lot more of Rafael Nadal throughout this uh, US Open series and we, we should see plenty of him in New York in a couple of weeks' time. Should be an interesting match if uh or interesting semi, I should say, if Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal wind up facing each other. There's no love lost there anymore. They don't like each other. <laughs> no, Djokovic Djokovic's father has made that clear, hasn't he? Yeah, well, whatever. I don't care about Djokovic's father, but what I want to tell you is this. When you mock people, and, and, and players are starting to get angry about this, all this uh, impersonating each other, when you start doing that, watch out. You might make people angry. You never want to wake up a sleeping, a sleeping tiger or a sleeping lion. And Rafael Nadal is a big boy, no matter how he got there. I wouldn't fool around with him. I would take Nadal over Djokovic in a heartbeat. Wouldn't you? It's, you know, you know we, it's been so long since we've been on the hardcore season again that I kind of feel that people have forgotten how good on a hardcore Novak Djokovic is. Sure, he, he struggled a little bit on... The, the events after the Australian Open, Indian Wells, he didn't have a great tournament. Miami, he didn't have a great tournament. Um, he won Dubai with a sort of smaller field. But um, you know, my, my feeling is that uh, come these uh, US Open Series tournaments, Djokovic probably will be the player to beat again. Um, certainly in the Masters events, once it comes to the, the actual Open itself, guys like Murray and Nadal will probably step up a level. But... Um, I, I really think this matchup between Djokovic and Nadal could be really interesting. I mean, they ran each other real close in their last game on the clay at Roland Garros. So, on the hardcore surface, I think it favours Djokovic a little bit more. But um, I'll be intrigued to see this on Saturday, who, who comes out the winner if they should meet on Saturday. I'm going with Nadal. I'll take the doper over the other doper any day. Oops. <laughs> no, I'm not insinuating that they do. I'm just reading this article by this knucklehead who claims that everybody on the tour is doping. I like Nadal a lot. And I think that I still honestly believe that uh, Novak Djokovic isn't as tough as he wants everyone to think that he is. I think him losing at Roland Garros crushed him and crushed his season no matter what folks think, I'm going with Nadal. I'm going, in fact, I'm going with Nadal to win this entire tennis tournament. Uh, why not? Because I don't see, there's a big matchup. I don't know what's happening there right now, but Juan, Martin, Del Potro, and Milos Arayanich are squaring off tonight at some point. I think maybe now they're playing. It has started, and Rayanich leads 7 Five. It is three four with a break to Del Potro in the second set. However, it is an advantage Rionich, so it, it's very very close. Young Milos, you gotta love Young Milos. I do. I think I'm gonna take Milos Rionich against Rafael Nadal in the final, and I'm gonna take Rafael Nadal. Why not? You? Yeah, that sounds like a good shout. Um... Whoever wins this match, I think, will probably be favorite to get to the final. I think uh, 
I like him in the school bus. I like his game, but um, you know, he doesn't have the head to last long enough. He gets a bit ahead of himself, and you know, he'll get to the, the semi-final, and he'll maybe have a party or something, and he'll you know he'll forget the fact he's playing the semi-final, and he'll just not turn up. Um, as I say, that Rionic breaks back, so you're looking very good for that shout. Um, so yeah, I I think that's a really good shout for the the final. However, um. I just have a sneaky suspicion that Djokovic is uh, going to stick around and he'll retain this crown for the third year in a row. All right, sounds good. Thanks for being on the show, Craig. It's a, a privilege, Phil. I'm glad that I could uh, help you out with the show again this week. Sounds great. You can find Craig Doyle at craigdoylephotography.com and that's going to close the show for tonight. want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. Until next week, you all be careful out there, be wise, be smart, and most importantly, enjoy the tennis.